and through seeing things differently than usual, highlight you know the possible contribution which Buddhism and the Buddha Dhamma you know can bring to any kind of challenge and in particular to the ecological crisis which we are facing. Now, the Buddha has lived over 2,600 years ago in the Iron Age in India and he was not confronted with an ecological crisis of those dimensions. But from the very beginning, you know, the core of the Buddha's teaching was impermanence, emptiness and conditioned arising or mutual conditionality. So that everything is in perpetual change, everything is constantly changing. And therefore we can say, you know, the world isn't really made of things, but it's a constant changing confluence of processes. And our bodies and our minds are part of this constant changing confluence of processes. Interacting with each other and influencing each other all the time. And also from the very beginning, another Buddha said, I teach about dukkha and the ending of dukkha. And the word dukkha has been translated in many different ways. A good way for it is, I think, stress. Or sense of uh, it's not quite right. And we often experience that individually as a sense of deficiency or a sense of lack. And you know the, the word dukkha itself, the Bali word dukkha consists of two parts and uh, do is a prefix and means something like bad or ill-fitting and ka is the axle hole in the center of a wheel. So it, it uh, the meaning is you know something like an axle which is ill-fitting into the axle hole. And therefore it's a bumpy ride. And I think that's what the experience of Dukkha is, you know, in our lives. There's constantly, you know, things not quite the way we want them to be. Because of the constant changingness and because of the fact that there is not separate things which can be controlled, but it's a confluence of processes. Which is not in our control, but what we can learn is we can learn to move inside of that constant flux. We can learn to open to it and we can learn to understand what's a skillful way of living in the midst of change and being that change and responding to it from an open heart and an open mind.
and you know the the basis for this experience of dukkha is actually our deluded assumptions that we are separate beings and that cannot only be applied to our individual delusion but also collective delusion you know that we as a species or we as a society we experience ourselves as separate from the planet separate from the biosphere we experience ourselves as we would live on the planet like being on a stage we are not aware yet we are not familiar with the truth you know that we are actually part of nature we are not like walking around in nature but we are part of nature and the venerable tiknatan said we are here to overcome the illusion of our separateness and that's in a way you know the summary of what the practice is all about to overcome this uh, illusion of separateness and we know from child psychology that babies are not born with a sense of separateness but that arises you know as they grow up and get socialized they are psycholo- uh, psychological constructs that we learn through language and through being embedded in social communities and we learn from others to experience ourselves as other seers for example when the parents look in our eyes and then they say hello uh, maria or whatever and then yes i am i'm that so that's the conditioning gets handed down to us and that's of course necessary in order to be able to live in community but from a buddhist point of view there's always dukkha insufficiencies inbuilt part of that process because this uh, you know this feeling of being a separate self actually doesn't have a reality and therefore it feels fundamentally insecure therefore it is dukkha because it, it's an assumption it's uh, you know patterns of cognition and pattern emotional patterns which have a function in terms of uh, orchestrating you know how to live inside of a community or uh, a family or whatever but it, it doesn't have a reality and therefore it feels deeply insecure and it feels insecure because it is not real so this you know this feeling of insecurity or feeling of lack feeling that there's something isn't quite right with me something is missing i'm not good enough this is those different ways how we interpret that um experience of dukkha for ourselves and then you know we have our societies our families our different cultures who give us different uh, explanations for this feeling of dukkha what we can do in order to get away from that but the only way to really come to terms with it is is turning towards it really opening to it and experience it consciously and then start to see it's actually a conditioned phenomenon which has been you know which has been um, 
created and and constructed through through our socialization and it can also be deconstructed and the buddha's teaching the buddha dhamma is a, a set of teachings is a toolbox which helps us to deconstruct those patterns this uh, emotional emotional and cognitive um, filters which we have been accumulating through our conditioning in this life and maybe other lifetimes. So in our society, you know, offers us different explanations about what it is, what is missing. And, you know, let's say about a thousand years ago when the church was still very powerful, we learned that it is the original sin, you know, that we inherited from Eve, or Adam and Eve, and if we want to be free from that original sin, we have to practice in a certain way and maybe, you know, pay money and, and go on pilgrimage and all of those things. And then we're going to come into heaven and be uh, next to the big uh, Father God. And then we're going to be happy ever after. So that story is no longer having a lot of um, power these days. But the, the approach is still kind of the same. But what we are learning today is, you know, we're taking it much more personal. We are not taking it just like as a human foible, which can be, you know, done away with if we are practicing in a certain way uh, a religion. But these days, you know, our society offers us uh, different explanations according to uh, consumerist culture. And, and capitalism, which is deeply, you know, interconnected with an exploitation of the planet and the disrespect for for nature. And it's different, you know, leg projects which are available these days. And I just want to mention a few. The first one would be, you know, I don't have enough money, and that's why I can't buy all of the things which would fulfill and make me permanently happy. Or I'm not famous enough. Because we have a tendency you know, to see a lot of celebrities on the screens and, and there's a kind of feeling, oh, you know, if I would have that same fame, I would be more safe. I'd be more stable. And then... Maybe the whole story about romantic love, you know, if I find the right person, then I'd be happy ever after. And that's not, you know, against romantic relationships, but expecting from a single person that kind of uh, fulfillment is very unrealistic. And the next leg project would be, you know, my body isn't good enough. And this is especially for women, you know, we get that a lot. That there are some very unrealistic uh, expectations made. Where many, many of us don't really get close to that. And that can also be a leg project. Or I don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. Always thinking in the future when I have enough money, when I have enough fame, then... I'm going to arrive, you know, then everything is going to be fine. But if we start to really look into that, 
that rushing into the future, we actually never arrive there. Because the momentum in the mind, you know, the pattern in the mind, it's part of the whole uh, mindset. So when we then arrive in the future, we're again in the present moment, and again, there is that kind of sense of in the future, in the future. And so that's that's a feeling of lack is a systemic and it's part of the thought structure itself. And that really, you know, uh, keeps us away from having a relationship with what's happening in the present moment. There's always like a sense of hurry and a sense of an inability to really be in relationship. And, you know, if we don't have the capacity to be in real relationship with something, we also don't feel a real sense of responsibility because we're already always in the future. And I think that's what we can, uh, you know, notice with the consumerist culture, which always thinks in the future we're going to be fulfilled when we have all of those things and not really having a relationship to nature, having a relationship to the foundation of our lives in the present moment and therefore not really having a sense of responsibility, not really recognizing what we are doing to ourselves. So there are those leg projects, they are all symptoms of delusion and therefore it doesn't really matter, you know, how much money or fame we have. If our basic needs are covered, that's of course very important and there's many, many people on this planet whose basic needs are not secure. You know, even in the so-called developed countries, there's food insecurity. But this you know, feeling that it's never enough, it's a systemic thought construct. And it's like a barrel without a bottom. It's never going to be full. That's what Dukkha is all about. This systemic feeling of something is not quite right. And that is not because there is something not quite right, but it comes from the assumption that we are separate entities. And that's the systemic delusion. Because if we just stop breathing for three minutes, we'll notice how dependent we are on the biosphere. Not even for three minutes can, can we be without exchange in terms of the breath. So it's a, it's a total delusion, even it's so obvious. And you know, the Buddha Dharma offers us different tools so we can bring it into our own conscious experience, the fact, you know, that we are not separate. And that's why in the, in the Buddha Dharma it's so fundamental to dwell in the present moment, in the present experience, to see things as they truly are, but not, you know, observing it, you know, from, you know, somewhere a little bit, away from what's really happening, but really bringing it in our own experience. Because, you know, understood experience 
is, uh, is productive of wisdom and compassion. And understood experience doesn't mean, you know, reading a book. These are signposts which are very useful and important, but then we have to experience it in our own bodies and minds, you know, how that really works. And this, you know, this is what we call insight. And those insights, they are, you know, removing those cognitive and emotional filters which we project onto our experience. And it's those filters, you know, which are different forms of attachments, which are productive of dukkha. And if those filters are removed through insight, dukkha lessons in relationship to how deeply you know we have seen through those filters and burst those filters and they they don't come back so the buddha said i teach dukkha and the end of dukkha in which is also somehow a leg project but it's a leg project which eats itself up like uh, you know, when you use a, a match to light a flame, then, you know, the flame brings a light into a room, even that room was dark for a million years. When you light a match, you can suddenly see, and then the fire of that match, the light eats itself up. And that's, you know, what this uh, practice is all about. In the beginning, you know, we need to uh, learn certain methods and and really make an effort to do it but over time more and more space is created in our minds and in our hearts and less and less uh, method is really needed because it uh, has you know something else takes over in our lives and that's the dhamma so i would like to uh, continue with a, a guided meditation you know with one of those tools which we have received uh, you know from the Buddha and it's uh, a meditation on the elements which uh, belongs to the um, first foundation of mindfulness Kaya body and there's different meditations in this first uh, foundation of mindfulness, meditation on body parts, meditation on the elements, and meditation on death. And I'm you know, going to guide us uh, through a meditation on the elements because that's particularly meaningful, I think, in context with uh, you know, clarifying our relationship with this planet and really deeply seeing we are not separate. From the planet we are not sitting on the planet but we are part of it and these uh, teachings of the Buddha they are prescriptive and not descriptive they don't tell us you know what earth element is but they give us an inroad into experiencing for ourselves what is earth element what is water element what is fire element what is wind element and it gives us a different sense of who we really are. And that's exactly you know, what we need to cultivate, this different experience of ourselves 
to step outside of those old assumptions. And it shifts our identity, you know, from a personal identity to a more universal identity. And we experience ourselves as part of nature. And that's exactly, you know, I think the uh, shift which needs to happen. Because if we would uh, experience ourselves as part of nature, how would we actually act then? How would we be, you know, not only as individuals but as a species? We'd certainly much more be equipped, you know, to live here. So it's just one way, you know, of uh, clarifying our dependence on planet Earth, our deep, deep interconnectedness, and, and the fact, you know, that... Uh, we never cut the umbilical cord between the planet and ourselves. Because, as I said before, you know, if we don't breathe for three minutes, we, we're going to die. If we don't eat for one or two months, the body is going to break apart. If we don't drink for four or five days, the body will break apart and we can also live only in a certain temperature range. So there's a, a profound interconnectedness which can be experienced very, very simply if we turn our mind towards that fact. And if we do that, you know, again and again and again, it does have an effect on those uh, cognitive and emotional filters. They get thinned out. And that's exactly, you know, what the aim of the practice is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.